a hand, an apron, a backpack full of rocks. What could they possibly have in common? His will for you. His way shown to you. And his work to accomplish in you. First Peter chapter 5. See if you can find the hand, the apron, and the backpack full of rocks as I read these verses again to you that were read earlier. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, before we just parachute into this situation, let's find out what's going on. We are, after all, uh, kind of reading someone else's mail if we don't understand uh, what the situation is and how that would apply to us and what it would have to do with us. So let's ask a question. Who wrote First Peter? Such a bright student. You're already beyond. It's wiser to learn, you know. Yes, Peter wrote First Peter. Impulsive Peter. Water walking, Peter. Lord, let me come to you. First one to speak, right? Decisive declaration, Peter. Who do men say that I am? Oh, you're uh, Elijah. You're one of the prophets. Peter, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. First to speak. Ear cutting, Peter. Lord, I have my sword right here. Let me chop the guy's ear off. That Peter, impulsive Peter, presumptuous Peter, after that great declaration, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, the gospel records, the Lord then began at that time to tell them that he had to be going up to Jerusalem and to be flogged and to be tortured and to be hung on a cross. Presumptuous Peter said, Lord, it will never happen to you. Hmm. Presumptuous Peter. Then, of course, when we looked at John 21, we, we saw the proud Peter, didn't we? Where the Lord predicted his denial, and he was emphatic in Mark 14. Even if everyone else has to die, I will not deny you. Proud Peter. That's who wrote First Peter. To whom was it written? To the persecuted and the scattered. 
From the huddled and blessed, you see in Acts chapter 2, the church was born in Jerusalem and, and it was good. I mean, amazing things happened. These special gifts and abilities were given to people to speak in languages they'd never spoken before so that they could share the gospel with all of these pilgrims that had come from far countries that spoke different languages to celebrate Pentecost. And there they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ and thousands of people came to Christ. And daily God blessed them, adding to this so that they numbered in the thousands and they freely gathered in the temple courts where they were taught and they learned and they grew. It was good. And now when they receive this letter, they're disillusioned and scattered and lonely because Acts chapter 1 says, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered. They found themselves under attack and paying the price that Christ said they would. No servant's greater than his master. If they've hated me, so they will also hate you. Now, instead of communion, they found themselves alone and afraid and disillusioned. Could you find yourself here at all in this letter of First Peter? Maybe you made a good start. Things were good. The promises were great. What? Forgiveness? Eternal life? I get to go to heaven? Yes. And then all the wheels came off somehow. And you look back and you say, how did I get here? What went wrong? This was not part of the plan. From huddled and blessed to scattered and lonely. Or maybe you're more like Peter than you are the persecuted. Could that be? If we're honest with ourselves, not asking for a raising of hands here, but anyone a little impulsive? little presumptuous? Any of us proudful, prideful at all? Fighting the me monster? Hmm. That's a battle, isn't it? What does Peter have to say to us today? Where might we find ourselves here? Let me share with you three images from this passage that clarify what he wants to say to us to show us his will for us, his way demonstrated to us, and his work that he wants to accomplish in us. So we look for the hand. Did you see the hand? That's in verse 6. That one was pretty obvious, right? Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Imagine with me, oh, look at that. An enormous hand over us this morning. You see it? Imagine that being God's hand. There's only so much space on the screen, so the hand's only that big. But, I mean, it should be enormous, right? Imagine God's hand over us right now. We see this hand two times in the passage. And this hand shows us his will for us. Verse 6 says, under which we must humble ourselves. This is the first step. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is progressive. So the first step is to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. We must let God, capital G, 
G-O-D. B. God. Capital G-O-D. And not God. Little G. Little O. Little D. Yet that's what we tend to do, isn't it? We like to uh, form and fashion our God to our liking, to what would be convenient, to what would serve us. But he is not for us to form and fashion. Rather, he is forming us and means to fashion us into all that he wants us to be. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, letting him be God. So first we must humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Now, if you concede that, Then one of the problems we tend to have is, yeah, no kidding, because I know he's bigger and he's bigger and better and braver and stronger and everything else. And you know what? I'm a little tired of that and I'm pretty convinced that that hand is a fist. And anytime I do something wrong, he's just ready to bang me. Now, you may not say that out loud, but have you ever felt that way? Oh boy, here we go again. And if I step out of line, down comes the fist. But he takes pleasure in that. Well, I promise you that that's not true. And I'm going to prove it to you this morning. God's hand is over us. And we must submit to it. But it is, I promise you, not a clenched fist. When we have that attitude that it is, no wonder we clench our fists against him in complaining and whining about the fact that things are tough or rough or why aren't things the way we want them to be. But it's just not true. It isn't, and I'll show you that this morning. However, as I've said, this is progressive. And the first thing we must do is humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Now, we see the hand a second time, but I'll come back to that in a minute. And we will leave encouraged this morning, I promise you, with hope and promise. But we must first submit. We must humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Let God be God. And most of our problems begin here. If God is not allowed preeminence in our lives... then we create for us ourselves a series of problems without end. He can't have all of that control, and yet he must. So first step, this is his will for you. Submit yourselves under God's mighty hand. And when I show you later on how promising this picture is, and that he is not mean, and it isn't a fist, and he does care for you, don't forget... The first step. If you want to receive all of the blessings that he has for you, you must first let God be God. You must submit yourself under his mighty hand and allow him to fashion and form you to be all that he wants you 
to be. For that is his work. So this is his will. To submit yourself under his mighty hand. Now we come to a second image. The apron. And that's found in verse 5. Did you see it? Did you see the apron in verse 5? It's right there. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see it, don't you? No? Okay. Confession to make. Uh, It's not actually an apron. It's a towel. How do you see it? No, huh? What's the matter with you? Boy, we got to get the wiser to learn. Okay. Let me see if we can't get to it this way. Have you ever wondered why John, the gospel writer, the disciple, was the only one to record of the disciples the washing of the feet of the disciples by Jesus Christ? Ever notice that? The other gospel accounts don't have it. John chapter 13 tells us that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Hmm. How come John's the only one that records that? Oh, or was he? You see, this phrase, I think, is Peter's rendering of that circumstance and that situation. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Um, listen to this commentator. He says, this is a rare word that refers to a slave putting on an apron before serving. This word literally means to engirdle oneself for labor. And it's in the present tense. That means that this is to be timeless in character. Continuing on and on and on. The one who was uh, most opposed to the idea of Jesus suffering. Oh Lord, no, that can't happen to you. Ends up being the one who writes a letter to the suffering. And he never forgot this lesson. Clothe yourselves in humility. Do you remember the circumstances? They were there in a borrowed room. Having the Passover, joining together in this marvelous feast that celebrated actually all that was about to happen in Christ's crucifixion. And they walked into this place because there was no host. There was no one to wash feet. No one decided to do that for anybody else. So they sat around this table with their stinking feet and enjoyed the meal until the God of all creation stood and posed himself of his garments and grabbed a towel and put it around his waist then approached everyone's feet and washed their feet then taking the towel and wiping off those feet. That is something Peter never forgot. For the one who has said, no, these things can't happen to you, ends up being the one who writes to these suffering and scattered and says, don't forget to clothe yourselves in humility like the one who served us. In today's slang, this would be put on an apron. Now, when do we wear aprons? Hmm. 
Gentlemen, when you return home and your wife is wearing an apron, is she ready to go out for dinner? Maybe if it's bad enough apron, she's trying to drop you a hint or something. But does she look like she's ready to go out to town when she's dressed like this? When is the only time we ever wear aprons, gentlemen? Oh, when we're proudly in the backyard burning brats. You know, should have one that says, Big Barry, best brat burner ever. That's when we like to wear our, you know, our aprons. Otherwise, when do you ever wear an apron? Hmm. Peter says, get ready every day. Constantly in the present tense. Clothe yourselves with humility. There's an order here. Just when you think it's time for you to be served, God calls for you to serve. First we humble ourselves and serve. And why would I want to do that? Because verse 5 continues, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now your, your Bibles probably show you that that's a quote from somewhere else. That's from Proverbs chapter 3. We like Proverbs chapter 3, right? Uh, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and he will direct your paths, right? We, that's a nice promise. Well, in that same passage, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In John chapter 13, the knowledge of God incarnate begins to serve and instruct how to serve. And, and how could he do that? If there was a person ever that needed someone to serve him, it was in that moment. He was about to go to the cross and be crucified. And yet he was able to spoil himself of his clothes and humble, actually humiliate himself before his disciples and wash their feet. Why could he do that? Because John chapter 13 says, Jesus knew that the time had come and that he was going to the Father. So knowing all that God had done for him, was going to do for him, was going to be there for him, he could serve. Humble yourselves and then serve. There's a progression. There's an order. Have you ever wondered why the church stinks sometimes? Hmm. Let me come back to that question. Have you ever wondered if the upper room stunk? Okay, 13 guys in a borrowed room, like I said. I don't know how big it was, but if it was borrowed, maybe it wasn't all that big. May have been a pretty humble place. Thirteen men walking around in sandals in Mediterranean heat. No air conditioning. And, by the way, they reclined at a table that was about 18 inches above the ground. So they're laying on their arms near each other's feet. What do you think? I'm thinking that room was ripe. And they sat there smelling all of that. Hey, it's just us guys. Scratch, scratch. Until 
the God of all creation was willing to get up and wash their feet. Back to my first question. You ever wondered why the church sometimes stinks? It couldn't be because somebody would be unwilling to serve, right? Could it? You see the progression here? Oh, believe me. Again, promise. We're going to leave encouraged. But there's a progression here. First, you humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And then you prepare yourself to serve. And you do so. And, uh, you know, life's tough and things are hard. And Yeah. Do you think it was any harder for Jesus Christ if there was ever a moment that he should have been served by his disciples? Was it not that moment? And yet he was the one who was willing to meet all of the social norms that were expected and should have been. That kind of a meal should have taken place in a home where people hosted it and the host would have always provided someone to wash the people's feet. They had a whole process of cleansing and purification that was necessary. But because it was in a borrowed room and because nobody was willing to serve the God of all creation, has to depose himself of his clothes and wash his disciples' feet. Why does the church sometimes stink? You tell me, but I think it's because like those disciples, we're quick to want someone to serve us and not nearly as quick to step in and do what we know we can do. Because the ultimate servant served us. Right? There is no excuse. Therefore, when we have a a tablet out there that's got lots of service opportunities, there really should be no reason why that isn't filled. Unless we're just unwilling to serve. And that, according to the Bible, stinks. Now, it's natural to be proud. It's just a part of our nature, and we need to know that and recognize that insidious tendency that skews all our thinking, and I'm going to show you just how insidious that is. But let me just reiterate. The one who needed to be served more than others, who was about to be crucified, he could be the ultimate servant and serve freely because he knew from whom he had truly received grace in time of need. And so have we. So, we humble ourselves and we serve. That's His will and that's His way. And He has demonstrated for us what that is. Never asking us to do anything that He hasn't already done. But now we need to see the hand for the second time. Because now everything turns and the story becomes incredibly encouraging. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in good time. Now where is the hand? No longer is it over us. But it is now under us. Lifting us up in good time. 
You see, I told you it couldn't be a fist. No fist can lift anybody up. The hand went from here to here, and we are in his, the palm of his hand. And in due time, he will give grace to the humble and lift us up in due time. Proof positive. The struggle that we have, of course, is the last part of the phrase, in due time. And we want it now, and we want it immediately. Well, now we're ready for the final image that helps us deal with the work that he wants to accomplish in us. Verse 7, the backpack full of rocks. This is the work he wants to do in you. Now, the story I'm about to share is, is mine, and it goes back a number of years. It could be anyone's in this room. I am quite sure that any of you have a story that's much like this. Because all of us in life have been given a backpack. And it's meant to carry things. And the first things that I believe that it's meant to carry are little rocks. So little rocks in my little story have to do with the time that we were uh, uh, missionaries in Italy and uh, we were planting this church. So I had all kinds of responsibilities that had to do with that little church that I was caring for. And there were lots of little rocks. Of course, every week you have your responsibilities that you're supposed to be doing. And I was preaching and teaching and counseling people and working with people. And, and, and you know what? That's not bad. That's what life is supposed to be about, right? I mean... We're all given gifts and abilities. We're supposed to work. Work existed before the fall. It's not that we're not supposed to be productive people. We're supposed to be productive. We're supposed to be working and we're supposed to be accomplishing things. And life is just filled with lots of details. And then I began to add details because uh, we were only uh, about a <clears throat> matter of weeks away from... Um, uh, from a time that we were coming back to the United States. Um, but two years before this time, uh, um, a choir director from a church of one of our colleagues came over and he visited. And, and he said he wanted to, to do a short-term trip with the team. Well, frankly, in Italy, they don't speak a lot of English, and short-term teams have a pretty limited amount of things that they can do actually there. And uh, I really wasn't interested in hosting a bunch of people who couldn't speak the language and help us anyway and just trying to give them some kind of, you know, spiritualized vacation or whatever. So, so you know what? I did I aimed real high he said well you know I could bring a music group over and so I had seen a music group used very effectively one time but they sang all in Italian so I'm like oh, I'll take care of this guy so I said all right here's the deal if it's really going to work they got to be able to sing in Italian I think we can do that uh-oh so it took us two years but it was amazing and this is back uh, late 90s, uh, it was actually a woman that sang into her computer, sent the wave files over to Canada, which was a big deal back then. Nowadays, you know, I know it's you know old hat, but whatever. She sent wave files. These guys then put those on cassette. Do you remember what cassette tapes are? Anyway, put them on cassette, and each one of these members of this team actually spent time listening to these things, and they memorized a whole uh, repertoire of songs in Italian. Once I knew what the songs were, they told me, and we had a drama team on our side of the water, that we put together these uh, these dramas that went with the music, and we created this by remote, you know, by distance, this uh, this endeavor that we were going to have. We ended up doing 21 uh, engagements in 20 days, going all around the place with these guys. They came without any instrument. They brought a few instruments, but they could sing without any instruments, all a cappella. It was like goosebump material, man. And we could walk around the city in these little porticos and cobblestone streets, and they would just break into song, and people would gather around and listen, and we'd hand out these beautiful f- flyers that we'd made that talked about it, the concerts that we were going to have, and then these people came out, and uh, we had you know some large gatherings of people who came to hear 
the gospel as we presented it all through this music. And I mean, this thing was just incredible. It was fantastic, you know, and, and, it, and it worked really well. We spent two years doing it. So now I'm coming up on this, and it's just a matter of weeks away, and I got a lot of detail. I mean, you know, I had all those before, but now all of a sudden I've got this... You know, I got this fire coming. I got a thousand details. I'm putting these things together. And, you know, the backpack's getting pretty heavy. But, you know, as a matter of fact, it's the way it's supposed to be, right? We're capable individuals. We're supposed to be working, right? Well, then, you know, you always have the complicated parts of life. You know, things began to get a little bit more, you know, the unexpected. So, as a matter of fact, uh, I had a man who had a psychotic break in the church. Ooh, that was like a medium-sized rock. Man, that one... That one wasn't so good. That, you know, that was a concern. Uh, what were we going to do with him? And I ended up spending a lot of time at the hospital. And I didn't have time to be doing that kind of thing, you know. And then we had a few other things, like uh, we were coming up on this, you know, home assignment. I hadn't planned on that when I said yes to the guy in the first place. There were things I was supposed to be planning there, and I had to lay out a whole schedule so my time was used, you know, properly and everything else. We had my, my son's schooling that was going to be affected, not only leaving Italy, but... But then coming to the States, and he had never studied in, it, in English before. And so, oh, boy, you know, how are we going to do that? Because then, the, you know, there were that medium-sized rock had to go in there. And, and then who was going to take care of the church while we were gone? That was an issue, too. It's going to, you know. And, and so, you know, I had these medium-sized rocks, and this thing was starting to get, you know, whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wasn't planning on that. But, all right, you know, I can do it. You know, I'm capable, right? And, uh, you know, so we're, we're kind of pulling this together. But, boy, I sure hope nothing else happens. And then... And then, I got one more bucket, don't I? Yeah. When you live in Europe and the phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's usually somebody from the United States. Yeah. Sometimes they, I had a friend who did that on purpose anyway. He called me one time. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. He's like, you know, I just thought about it. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, but I called you anyway. Yeah, thanks for that. But this time... It wasn't a friend playing a joke. No, this time it was my brother. And, uh, yeah. Dad just died. Now what am I going to do? I'm four weeks away from this huge endeavor that's going on. I got little rocks, I got medium-sized rocks, and all of a sudden I got this huge rock drops into the backpack. Well, you know, I I can't stay here. You know, we got to go home for the funeral. Oh, yeah, and you got to be a part of the service and we want you to speak. Oh, man, you got to be kidding. And then i got to get back just in time to have this whole team come and Oh, man, that was a major rock in the backpack. Now, I want you to see the truly insidious pride of man in this. As here I wander around with this huge thing, as heavy as it is, what do you wish I would do with this backpack? Wouldn't it be good if I put it down? But you know what? We don't tend to do that, do we? We got a couple of kinds of burden bearers. The first burden bearer is the one who just tells everybody all about it every time they got a problem. Do you know those people? How you doing? Oh no, I shouldn't ask that question. And then here comes, you know, and there they go, and 
But then there's the others. They're more spiritual, right? They stuff it down inside. They don't tell anybody. How you doing? I'm just doing great. Never had a bad day, honestly. You know, it hardly matters. Both of those are the insidious demonstration of our pride. That we walk around carrying all these loads. And whether we wear it on our sleeves and tell everybody, or whether we just got it out, what we're not supposed to be doing is carrying the backpack, are we? God gave us a place to put it. Didn't he? Because where's the hand? Peter has a word for us. Whether we are impulsive and presumptuous or proud, or scattered and disappointed and delusioned, disillusioned, he says, cast all your anxiety on me because God cares for you. Put it down right where it belongs and he will lift you up in due time. To refuse to put it down is to fly in the face of the one who bore our greatest burden, isn't it? Was there any burden greater than the cross? Is it possible for us to trust Him for our eternal salvation and not believe that He can carry us through this brief life on earth? After you've told Him that you will trust Him to save you, would you say to His face that you cannot trust Him to sustain you? Now, I'm the first one to say that I am guilty of hypocrisy when it comes to this. Things don't often go as we plan, But the question simply remains, how much of a hypocrite am I going to be? Or will I learn, change, trust, and keep putting the backpack down again and again and again? Anyone here want to be freed from a burden today? Recognize the mighty hand of God in your life. That is His will for you. Submit under God's mighty hand. Humble yourselves and then begin to serve as He served you and quit waiting for someone to meet your need. Know what your destiny is and because of that be able to serve just like the ultimate servant served us first. And then let it go and allow him to carry your burden because he cares for you. This is his work in you. His will is that you submit. His way is that you serve. His work is teaching us to cast our burdens on him because he cares for us. Someone sent me this little story. Little boy's strength is the big boy's strength. A little boy was spending his Saturday morning playing in his sandbox, and he had 
with him his box of cars and trucks and his plastic pail and a shiny red plastic shovel. And in the process of creating roads and tunnels in the soft sand, he discovered a large rock in the middle of the sandbox. But the boy dug around the rock, managing to dislodge it from the dirt. And with no little effort of struggle, he pushed and nudged the rock all the way across the sandbar, using his feet and his arms and his hands until he got it to the edge. He was a very small boy, and this was a very big rock. When the boy got the rock to the edge of the sandbox, however, he found that he couldn't roll it up and over the little wall. Determined, the little boy shoved and pushed and pried, but every time he thought he had made some progress, the rock tipped back and fell back into the sandbox. The little boy grunted and struggled and pushed and shoved, but his only reward was to have that little, that big rock roll back and smash his chubby little fingers. Finally, he burst into tears of frustration. All the time, the boy's father was watching from the living room window as this whole story unfolded. And at the moment the tears fell, a large shadow fell across the boy in the sandbox, and it was the boy's father. Gently but firmly, he said, Son, why didn't you use all the strength you had available? Defeated, the boy sobbed. But I did. Daddy, I did. I, I used all the strength I had. No, son, corrected the father. You didn't use all the strength you had. You didn't ask me. And with that, the father reached down and picked up the rock and removed it from the sandbox. Got any rocks you need removed? Any backpacks you need to lay down? Are you discovering that you don't have what it takes to carry them? There's one who's always available to us, willing to give us every strength that we need. It's funny how we try so hard to do things by ourselves. Sadly, many adults who've been professing Christians for years are trying, with everything they have, turning to God only as a last resort. But God wants to be our first resort. First of all, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Serve as He has called you to serve. And then when the pack gets heavy, There's a place for it to be put. And we must do it again and again and again. This is His will for us, that we would learn submission. This is His way for us, that we would learn servanthood. And this is His work in us, that we would be fashioned to become all that He wants us to be. Let's pray. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, for being foolish little children with bruised, chubby fingers because we think we can do it by ourselves. Proudly carrying around weights and burdens that are not meant for us to be carrying. Unwillingly serving because we think we deserve more. Foolishly keeping from submitting because we think you're cruel and unkind. Help us to see what a good and kind, gracious, 
fashioning God that you are, who desires to use all things to shape us to become what you want us to be. Teach us to submit, to serve, and to willingly give our concerns and our cares to you, letting our anxieties go, because truly you care for us. Well, thank you as you help us in Jesus' precious name. Amen.